0: Well, one of my favorite books of all times is a tiny little book called How to Be Miserable, 40 Strategies You Already Use. (laughs) It's a great book. Chapter one, avoid all exercise. (laughs) Done. (laughs) Maximize your screen time. Uh, If you want it, buy it. The next chapter, if you can't afford it, get it anyways. (laughs) Become a toxic optimist. (laughs) Work endlessly on your self-esteem. Here's one of my favorites. Bond with people's potential and not their reality. (laughs) Keep your eye on the small picture, not the big. Let your impulses be your guide. And one of my favorites, uh, live the unlived lives of others. <laughs> ah, isn't that great? How to be miserable. I need that. <laughs> Who would want that? Obviously, I'm joking, and that book, that book is very snarky, but it, it sets the scene for us. And it, it's, it's practices that we already use, right? We already do some of this, and it's killing us. Alright, and another way that we as the church, um, we could add a chapter to that, 41 ways to be miserable, is that we want to appear to be Christian. We want to appear to be spiritual, to have the look, the slang, the practices of a Christian, but deep inside our heart just isn't changed. And it just breaks us down. And so today I want us to see that being fake might actually just kill you. So today's sermon title is Free Over Fake, or Malcolm's title, and I'll give him credit for this, When God Straight Up murks a Dude and His Wife. <laughs> we are looking at the book of Acts, chapter 4, verses 32 through chapter 5, 11. Please stand for the reading of God's word, and we'll hear from Acts, chapter 4. Thirty two through five eleven. Oh. Yeah. i give it a shit. Is it working?
1: and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. But a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last, and great fear came upon all who heard of it. The young men rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. After an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened, and Peter said to her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much, and she said, yes, for so much, but Peter said to her, How is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. When the young men came in, they found her dead, and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things. This is the word of the Lord.
0: Let's pray. Father, we ask that we will be able to to hear from you this morning, Lord, even with a difficult text. Um, Lord, would we not be shocked by just your word, Lord? May we be shocked um, only uh, by our relationship to it, Lord, that, wow, you, the holy and mighty God, would love me. And so, Lord, would that be the thing that that grips us uh, as well? And so, Lord, uh, speak mightily through your uh, word this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, welcome to the book of Acts. Uh, if this is your first time, I'm sorry. This is probably one of the hardest uh, chapters in the whole book. Um, this is, uh, let me give you three sections to, to give us some categories for the sermon this morning. I want to see it as how hypocrisy kills community, how generosity marks community, and how to get community. Uh, and so, how does hypocrisy kill community? Well. Again, this is probably one of the most difficult passages in all of Scripture, uh, maybe not all, but especially in the book of Acts, and we are committed as a church to not just go on the easy passages. <laughs> we are committed to walk through these with you because we also believe there's something good and beautiful even in this, in this chapter. Um, but why is it difficult? Well, it almost sounds like a horror movie uh, when Peter is standing before this woman and says, your husband was just buried And the same people who buried him are going to bury you. Jeez. Like, like, hmm. Everything was going so well before, right? They had 3,000 people coming to faith. And then 5,000 people coming to faith. The gospel is on the move. The Holy Spirit has come down. People are speaking different languages. Lame men are leaping. Yes, Peter and John got thrown into jail, but... God delivered them. And so everything feels like so positive and so forward-moving, and then these two people who are part of the church get struck dead for lying. (laughs) And you want to go, wait, irk? (laughs) What? This is what this passage is supposed to do. Verse 11 says, great fear came upon the whole church. Yeah, I would expect so. (laughs) We just saw these two people Killed and they buried them so quickly. <laughs> if you notice that, like, Safire didn't get a chance; they didn't have have their goodbyes, right? They they just they bury them so quickly. But it's it's a a shocking thing, and it's supposed to be a shocking text for us to give us a reminder that God is holy, and sometimes we need that reminder that God is holy and we're not. This passage is supposed to shock us and to ask us, or have us ask, why is this so serious? that someone will be struck dead about this. And so God is saying, pay attention. But what's tough is it just doesn't feel like the punishment fits the crime, right? Like, it just feels unjust. Like, maybe if they just did X, Y, and Z, I could see this happening. But it was just a little white lie. I mean, how many of us are are liars? Okay, everyone that's not raising their hand... (laughs) be careful (laughs) just play just play just play just play there's this there's this great little essay uh, by C.S. Lewis called God in the Dock Um, and he what he argues is that usually when we see injustice when we see something that we say like why would God let this happen we put God in the dock in in the defensive position and, and we're starting to interrogate him and asking how could you do this defend yourself when the tables are switched, that we have Yahweh having to defend himself, and us, this little peon, (laughs) are saying, defend yourself. And he comes at us and says, who is the real God in this situation? Who is the superior being in this situation? And so instead of interrogating God, he's interrogating us and examining us. And just because we don't see a reason for this doesn't mean there isn't one. And so what this passage is really about is not just lying, but it's a particular type of lie. It's something called hypocrisy. And and Webster defines hypocrisy as feigning to be that which one is not. And so why does God take Ananias and Sapphira's sins so seriously? Because hypocrisy would have killed the early church. Like, I mean, think of it now. What's the number one reason people don't go to church? because of Christians. <laughs> Great. <laughs> we're doing a splendid job. Barna study says that 9 out of 12 Christians, uh, uh, not, uh, people's appearance of 9 out of 12 Christians are negative. That, that 85% uh, uh, of people's opinions about Christians are that they're hypocrites. 85% think we're trying to punk them and we're trying to lie to them. Jeez. So they, they see, okay, yeah, see, they see someone saying, I'm moral, but I cheat on my spouse, or, or am I, I'm a deacon, but I cook the books. Or the, they see us as like the Lego movie, where we're, we're going, everything is awesome, <laughs> when everything is really not awesome, <laughs> and we fake it. And so hypocrisy is the number one reason that the church doesn't have any value. The number one reason people are skeptical of the church. And so as long as Christians say one thing and do another, this is going to continue. As long as we keep lying through our teeth, it's going to continue. It's what made Gandhi say, if it weren't for Christians, I'd be a Christian. He says, I like your Christ, but I don't like your Christians. Some of you here have said, I'll give church one more try because you've been hurt by the church, (laughs) because of what you've seen, because of your experience. And so church is supposed to be a place, supposed to be a place that is life-giving, that is for your flourishing, that is a place for you to rest and have peace, and for your good. But your experience is, it's been a place of hurt, and a place of abuse, spiritual abuse and emotional abuse and maybe physical or sexual abuse and so when we see the church we run from it because of the trauma of it and the church just wants to downplay these these realities and they want to act as if everything is fine and so we sense the hypocrisy and we just naturally run from it. It's natural to just flee that. And so if in the early church, if they heard people say, yeah, they're selling all their possessions, they're giving it all away, and then Ananias and Sapphira said, yeah, we did that too, and are really holding back, people would have smelled the hypocrisy. And I think you can smell that on people. And you can, you can see it coming from them from a mile away. And this is what Peter smelled on these two. They didn't die because they didn't give the church money. That's not the point of this. It's not the point of the passage. For Peter says in chapter 5, verse 4, While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? I mean, it was yours. But you saw Barnabas getting praise for selling his land and giving his proceeds to the church, and so you wanted a little bit of that same praise yourself. You wanted to be seen as being generous without actually being generous. You want to be seen as being spiritual without actually being spiritual. And so verse 3 says, Their hearts were filled with Satan. Jeez. (laughs) Like, yikes. That is a contrast to what happened before, where the Holy Spirit comes down and the Holy Spirit fills their hearts. That their hearts are now filled so deceptively that they are filled with Satan. And verse 4 says, You have not lied to man, but to God. And so he's saying the Holy Spirit isn't someone that you can swindle. He knows you better than yourself. God takes sin very seriously, and the cross should prove that. But let's make it very clear right here. Here we see how serious God takes sin. The sin of hypocrisy would have killed the church. It would have killed the community, and it could kill our church if we embraced that that they don't really care, they, they want to look like they care, but they don't care. And so the, the sin of hypocrisy is really just this lack of being generous with your love and with your resources. That, that uh, I want to be seen as spiritual, but I'm actually not. That I want to be seen as alive, but I'm dead on the inside. I want to be seen as one who just gives it all away because I'm very outward focused. I want to see the mission of God reach people, but inside he hasn't really even reached me. And so that goes into the second point of how generosity marks community. This passage opens up with a description of what happens when the Holy Spirit fills people, is that they became generous. Chapter 4, verse 34 says, There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of the lands or houses of them, and brought the proceeds of what was sold, and laid it at the apostles' feet, and was distributed to each as any had need. And so what we're seeing here is this, this foil to Ananias and Sapphira. Here's what genuine community looks like. There wasn't a needy person among them. This is a fulfillment of Deuteronomy 15 where it says, But there will be no poor among you. (laughs) The, the, The church is fulfilling the prophecies of the Old Testament. This is how things are meant to be. And if we're honest, this is what we want the church to look like. Deep down, you and I want the church to be known for this. For its love and its care for the people around them. That it it loves and cares deeply for the poor and for the most vulnerable in our society. Because real community is love God and love people. It's pretty basic. (laughs) Being a Christian means being changed from the inside out so that your love for people overwhelms your love for your stuff. So people are always more important than our things. People will always be more important than those things. And so what I have is really meant to love my brother and sister in Christ. And so whether it's my home, whether it's my dinner table, whether it's my truck, which has been used many a times, (laughs) it's really not for me, it's for the people around me. And so this is not, this is the community is saying the community is not about you, it's about you pushing into your community. And so this passage really just isn't about money, even though it feels like it. It's about being authentic. And I kind of like it, it's like this. In the early church, even as we read the book of Acts and as we go through it, you don't see Peter and Paul and, and others going, you need to be in church. You really need to, you really need to be in it. And they just were. <laughs> they just knew they needed it. They, they weren't saying you really got to go and you got you to gotta commit every Sunday and Wednesday and every day or whatever day. They, they were not saying that. They just knew that was just the marker of being truly changed, that I, I need to sing. <laughs> I need to belt this out, this joy that what's going on here. I need to have the word preached to my soul. I need people of different ages in my life. <laughs> I need the church to remind me of the goodness of God because I doubt it all the time. And so they weren't being told they had to do it. It was just a marker of what happened when they, be, when they believed. Same thing is happening here. We're not saying you should really be generous. But what we see, when we see what God has done for us, it makes us generous people. It's just a marker of it. So this sermon is not a sermon on generosity, but real community is marked by generosity. So if you're honest, I mean, just think about this. If you're honest, what you spend on reveals what you actually care about, and and really it reveals who your real God is. And so if, if, let me say it this way, you will give money effortlessly, effortlessly to the things that you care about. So if you love food, I don't care how much that costs. <laughs> I want that. If you love your appearance or you love the clothes, I don't care. I need that. We, we effortlessly give our money to the things that we really, really care about. And so it reveals about what we actually love and care about. And so it's not about what's, how much is in my wallet. It's about what's going on in my heart. And so grace revolutionizes your view of people and of your things and your stuff that I didn't deserve any of it, and yet God loved me anyways. It makes me want to be generous with others. I can be generous with grace. I can give generous proportions of grace, generous proportions of love and of compassion with this generous spirit because God has done something amazing with me, I need to go outward with that. It's, it's a response to actually tasting grace. And the funny thing about grace is that you can't really fake it. You can't really fake this generous spirit. You can look like it, but like with Ananias and Sapphira, there, there, there is usually a money trail. <laughs> to be real, to be authentically changed by the love of Christ inevitably means it changes how we give our money away. <laughs> like, I care about God's mission and people. How can I give it away? <laughs> how can I love people with that? If, if we knew how generous he was with us, it would radically shift our money or our way of thinking about money. We'd say, take it. <laughs> God, use this mightily. I, let me think of creative ways to give it away, not just to the church. I'm not trying to say that. To, to the community, to the nonprofits, to ways to love people. And so we're, If we see how hypocrisy kills community, generosity is just this marker of what community is. That you love your community so much, you want to love it. You want to love your neighbor well. If you see your neighbor hurting, you want to love them. And so we've seen how hypocrisy kills community, how generosity is a mark of community. But let me give you this, how to get community. So what do we do now? Well, it's really simple. You ready? Don't be fake. Just be real. Be authentic. Don't be a poser. This would be the terrible end of a sermon. (laughs) But it's really clear, right? Chapter 4, verse 32 says Now, the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. They they weren't divided into two people, right? This is is my front that I want you to see me as, and this is who I really am. That they were were one heart and one soul, They they were who they were. Naturally, and they all were about the same thing together. And so I think this happens. This happened this morning. Someone said, "How are you doing?" And I said, "Fine." One, because of the busyness of the morning, but two, do I really want to get open and honest right then? Here's who I want you to see. Everything's fine inside. I'm overwhelmed. I'm 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 scared. All of this, right? Not not really. I don't have a counseling session right in front of everyone here. <laughs> But I, I want my outside appearance to look like my Instagram feed. Like, it's all polished and put together. Everything is great. I don't want people to actually see what's deep down inside going on with me. And so when I lie to you, though, you know it. Like, we know it when someone says, I'm fine. You go, okay. And so we realize that's as far as our friendship is going to go that we have just now said this is as deep as we're gonna go, fine, we can talk about sports, we can talk about football, yay for bears, sad for Aggies, we can talk about <laughs> whatever that may be, but we're not gonna go to the deeper things. And so your community will only go as far as you let each other into your life. It seems we all just wanna stumble into real, honest community, and but we're deathly afraid of opening ourselves up because that makes us vulnerable, and we feel exposed, and we feel naked. Well, let me let you in on something I've learned. You don't just find community, you have to fight for it. I'll say that again, you don't just find community, you actually have to fight for it. I think the danger that many of us have is that we think there is this elusive dream of community that, we, that we, we've seen people laughing and joking, and we say, why am I so miserable? Why can't I be on that inner circle? Why can't I find that community? This church seems to have it. Let's go there. I didn't find it. Oh, this group seems to have it. Let's go there. I didn't find it. Because in the process of waiting for this community to just reveal itself to us, We are self-protecting, and we're blocking people out of our lives. And really, the the fight that you have to have, this courageous fight, is to open up to people and to share the most vulnerable parts of you. And so the the fight for community is a fighting to, to be vulnerable, the fight to actually be authentic with someone. You have to fight for it. You have to fight to say to someone, I doubt. You have to fight to say to someone, I'm going to be real and honest. I have doubts about God, and that's not a weakness. That's a strength to say, I'm, I, I don't believe, but help my unbelief. It's a strength to be honest. It's easy to be fake. I mean, the early church had to fight for that genuine community. They fought for it by going in each other's homes. They shared their meals. They gave away their money. They opened up their hearts. It took work, and they fought for it. And for the first time in the history of mankind, they call it now the church. This is where we first get the word church. At the end of this chapter 5, verse 11, when all seems like this horrifying incident happens, people are struck dead, when the church feels broken and maybe on the verge of collapsing in on itself. In verse 11, it says, and great fear came upon the whole church. Ecclesia. This is where this word is birthed out of. The word church was birthed out of hardship, not because someone found the perfect church. Here it is. <laughs> People are dying, but because Peter wouldn't allow hypocrisy to rule the day, and he fought for his community. But let me give you this. In our attempts to fight for community, Let's make sure we don't deny the gospel. As the pastor, as, as someone who, who says this is what it should look like, we can be dangerous in saying, now do this. And you get Jesus and you get community. And if we do that, if we say the point is be more vulnerable and you get Jesus and community, the point is not that. The point is you have Jesus already. He's been freely given to you. He's yours. You don't have to hide anymore. You are free. If we say be vulnerable, share your stuff, fight, we have now just given you steps to get to Jesus. Be this and get Jesus. Do this and you'll feel really good about yourselves. But this isn't grace at all. Because the good news of the gospel is that you are messed up people. (laughs) That's the bad news. But the good news is coming. (laughs) The good news is that though you are dead in your sins, Christ died for you so that he could bring you back to life. And so the good news is not blame shifting and not covering up, It's saying, here's who I am and all of its ugliness, and Christ died for that. And all of my warts and all the things I don't want anyone to know about me, Christ knows about that, and he loves you. So that by his death, he brings you to life. <laughs> so stop being fake. <laughs> Be real. He already knows about your sin. Be real because it can't be about me. If it's about me getting this, this, and this right to getting to know Jesus, then I'm in trouble. Because I know me and I know my sin, and I'm I'm being fake if I say now I've earned my spot with Jesus. And so let's value free over fake. You are free, you don't have to hide. Do you believe that? Do you believe that you have Jesus and you don't have to hide anymore? You don't have to put on a front and be fake. I mean, how freeing would that be? If you could just say what you're really thinking. I don't have that gift. I need that gift. My wife has that gift. (laughs) I mean, what moves people to be vulnerable enough to be willing to share with others what's going on in their lives? The knowledge that God loves you just the way you are. Yes, he loves you enough to not leave you the way that you are. But he loves you as is. He came for this, not for your potential, right? He came for you. He came for you and he says, you belong in my kingdom. You belong. And in in that sense, you are invincible. (laughs) You are free because the relationship isn't at stake anymore. It's not your love for him. It's always been and will always be his love for you. Romans 5 8 says, But God shows his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That while we were still sinning, actively nailing the nails in his hand, he loved us and said, Father, forgive them. He loves us with that generous love of a Savior. That in the face of that sin, we're loved. And that is powerful, earth-shattering love right there. He knows the worst parts of you, and yet he dares to love you deeply. Do you believe that? Amen? Amen? Will you be honest about your sins this morning? Why were Ananias and Sapphira struck down? It wasn't their sin of greed. It was that they didn't confess the truth to the Holy Spirit about who they were, about their sins. And so will you be brave enough to be truly free this morning and confess? Sin is like this chain that has tied you up and you're enslaved to it and the guilt and the shame of it. And Christ says you have an opportunity this morning to break free of that chain and be truly free because of what I've done for you, not because of what you do. Don't just give me part of you. Give me the whole self. Give me everything the beauty, the warts, all of it together. He's earned your freedom. Trust in Him. And in that freedom and because of that freedom and by the power of that freedom, fight for your community this week. By the power of that freedom, you are free to love well. You're free to fight and to actually open up and be vulnerable with someone. And by the power of that freedom, you are free to be generous. You are free to love the people around you in your community. By the power of that freedom... Push into community because of what Christ has done for you. Let me pray for us.